Welcome to The Inner Circle, the podcast bringing you into honest conversations about climate action. Together, we'll talk to business owners, experts, activists, and others who are working on circular economy initiatives on the ground. We'll uncover what we're doing right, where people are going wrong, and what needs to be done to change the system to value people and the planet. Together, we're making the impossible possible. Hey there, welcome back to The Inner Circle. My name is Erin Andrews. I'm the founder and executive director of Impact Zero, and I'm so happy to have you back with me this week. I'm coming at you live from, not live, but I'm coming at you from um, Young and Dundas in Toronto. So I have officially moved back downtown, which is great, uh, but that also means that I'm no longer recording in a very quiet neighborhood. So if you hear background noises, sirens, all of that stuff. It's just because I'm back in the city. And if you are someone in the city as well, then you totally get this life. And this will just be like normal. Is it from your house? Is it coming from my house? You never know. So um, that's just my quick update. But um, I know we're a week late on the podcast because everyone else has pretty much found out already about the impact projects, but I do want to let you know that we have finally announced our impact projects that will be going forward in our impact project accelerator and the two successful candidates or I guess businesses or whatever you want to call them, the two successful projects are case and circular. So if you listen to, I think it's episode seven Um, is with Case. So that was with um, their founder. So her name is Kat Merritt. And then as well, the founder of Circular, his name is Charles, and we'll be having him on for an episode very, very soon to talk about his project. Um, But basically what Case is doing is they are doing a reusable takeout container system. So they work with restaurants to provide reusable takeout service. And then they also, you know, like wash it all drop it off, all that good stuff. It's kind of like a full service thing. Um, But then Circular is working on uh, washing infrastructure for offering um, like reusable CPG packaging. So consumer packaged goods, whether that's like food in a grocery store or whether that is like shampoo or conditioner or like anything that comes in packaging basically that can be reused. Um, That's what Circular is working on. So they have a really cool community based initiative, but I'll, I'll let Charles explain all of that stuff when he comes on the podcast soon. But I just wanted to let you know that those are the two projects that we're working on. So if you are interested in reusable takeout containers and reusable packaged goods, like I'm going to say circulars is like loop, but better because it's local and it's like completely washed locally, unlike loop that's washed in New Jersey. And you know, there's like the community resiliency piece that comes with it. Um, but if you like any of those, and you want to either partner with us on them or if you want to 
contribute financially to help us provide grants to these projects at the end of the accelerator, at the end of 16 weeks, then no matter if you're an individual or if you're a corporation, we would sub- like really, really love your support. Um, if you go to our donate page on the website at impactzero.ca slash donate, um, if you choose to donate to the projects, then that money will be split 50-50 between um, Case and between Circular. And then that way we will be able to completely fund all of their projects um, for this pilot program because the goal is they're going to go through this this accelerator and through it we're going to be helping them stand up the pilots in Toronto and basically holding them accountable and making sure that it's happening over the next 16 weeks and then by the end of the 16 weeks we'll have a proof of concept to say okay cool like this business model and this way of doing reusables actually works Um, and then we'll be able to scale it quickly because we'll be connecting them with investors in the city of Toronto and all that good stuff. But first we need to have proof of concept. There's no point in scaling anything or going and investing in a bunch of containers if you can't even like, you know, get the consumer behavior down to get people to drop the containers back off. So the goal of the accelerator is to help to, um, manage like that consumer behavior question, but then also, um, to make sure that it's financially feasible for everybody involved like not just the business, but even their partners and then customers, because we don't want these things to cost a lot of money. uh, But we do want to figure out some way of making these solutions more of like an infrastructure type thing. So um, super exciting projects going on there. And if you would like to contribute, um, any and all support would be greatly, greatly appreciated. And you can do that at impactzero.ca slash donate. So I'm going to actually skip over the fun circular economy fact for this week because we have a really, really huge episode coming up. But I still did want to let you know about another one of our Impact Zero Network members called I Live Eco. So I Live Eco was started to bring you a simple and curated way to go more eco. Their marketplace includes eco-friendly and sustainable products that are good for you, good for your home, and good for the earth. If you want to start living a more sustainable, minimalist lifestyle, but don't know where to start, they recommend the I Live Eco subscription box. Each box is curated by you with suggested reusable and eco-friendly products to help you start or continue living a more eco-friendly life, delivered right to your door each season. Their subscription box is the easiest way to start living with less waste and less toxins. They're always working with experts towards lowering their environmental footprint. If you'd like to learn more about I Live Eco, you can visit their website at iliveeco.co or follow them on Instagram at iliveeco. So this week for our podcast episode, I'm actually going to be repurposing some content from earlier in, I guess it was last week. You might have heard me over the last little while be you know, promoting the work that we're doing with Drawdown Toronto. And the whole goal of working with them is that we can start to, you know, raise awareness about food waste, raise awareness about community involvement in food waste, and help people reduce the amount of food waste that they have in their homes, depending on, you know, wherever you live. There was some, um, we had some talks about like, you know, composting, and then there were other ones about community gardens. And it was basically like a six-week partnership that I did with Drawdown. 
um, which was great. And the very last week, just to close off the entire challenge, we actually ended up doing this massive panel discussion with, I think it was five people. Um, So I'm not going to do their intros here because in the actual recording that I'm going to um, be sharing in just a second, I gave everyone's intros in there. So you'll get to know who we were talking with, but it was such a great conversation. I had asked my contact, Andrea, who is working with Drawdown, if I could repurpose it for the podcast because it was seriously such a good conversation about like circularity in terms of um, like food systems, but then also we really got into like the systemic issues with food waste and how it's not like just about, you know, the food that's on your table today um, versus tomorrow or what you're throwing out today versus tomorrow. Like it's a lot more complicated than that. And I think, you know, given the context that we work within here and we're trying to be all uh, like holistic about our sustainability education and initiatives, um, I thought it'd be a cool thing to share here as well. So I'm not going to do any intros, which feels weird because I have a rhythm now, but let's jump into the conversation with everybody in our drawdown panel, wrap up next steps, week six conversation. Welcome to the final interview of Drawdown Toronto's Just Eat It Food Waste Challenge. As always, my name is Erin Andrews. I'm the Executive Director of Impact Zero, and we've partnered with Drawdown to share education and different perspectives around the solution of reduced food waste. This week is going to be a little bit different from previous weeks. This conversation will be about how we engage more with the communities and the larger issues around food systems. Let's introduce our guests. Our first guest is Angelina Law. She's an energy management intern in Halton Region. She is a team lead at Waste Watchers, a youth-led youth serving group, working in conjunction with Youth Challenge International to engage youth to take action on food waste in the GTHA. Our second guest is Leslie Solomonian. She's a mother and naturopathic doctor. She co-founded Naturopathic Doctors for Environmental and Social Trust, also known as NEST, to support the naturopathic profession to engage in advocacy for the social and ecologic determinants of planetary health. Next, we have Tony Colley. He's the owner of Be One to Give, a local company that donates excess food waste from businesses and redistributes it to organizations helping to feed food insecure communities. You can think of Be One to Give as the Uber Eats for excess restaurant quality food. Next up is Dr. Atonia Sapong. She's a family doctor and a passionate advocate for access to healthy environments and social justice. We also have Lindura Sapong who works as a model and actress. As a social media influencer, she works to represent sustainable brands and showcase local entrepreneurs who are taking steps to reduce their environmental impact and empower their communities. Together, Tony and Lynn are Plastic Free Toronto, where they work to educate and inspire their communities to deal with issues of environmental pollution, climate change, poverty, and institutionalized racism. Welcome everybody. So happy to have you all here. Since the Just Eat It challenge is coming to a close, I wanna say a few words about how our conversation today will sum everything up. While this challenge was specifically about food waste, we recognize the social, economic, and environmental intersections that make this a much more complicated problem than what you buy, eat, or waste on a given day. This is why Impact Zero is so keen to partner with Drawdown on this challenge. While our work is focused on building businesses and infrastructure that Toronto needs to become a circular city, we have shared values with Drawdown about using a holistic approach to sustainability. 
We use science and data to inform our solutions and have a systems approach to solving the climate crisis. To share a bit more about the drawdown philosophy, I'd like to share an excerpt from their reference review. So I'm quoting this. <laughs> to reach drawdown, we must work on all aspects of the climate equation, stopping the sources of greenhouse gas pollution, supporting and enhancing the sinks of carbon dioxide found in nature, and helping society achieve broader transformations. That is, three connected areas call for action. First, we want to reduce sources, bringing emissions to zero. Second, we want to support sinks, uplifting nature's carbon cycle. And third, we want to improve society, fostering equality for all. I think that these three areas show how it's not just about carbon, it's not just about finding sinks, and it's not just about making sure everybody has access to food, but we have to think about reimagining our society really on a holistic scale. So knowing that there is not one perfect solution, I'd like to get our guests take on how the, there are vast opportunities that exist in Toronto. So our first question, and maybe uh, Tony, Kali, you can start. Um, where do you see the opportunities in our local community around producing food waste? So to veer away from what I do uh, in my business, household food waste makes up 40% of our national food waste issue. So I think the biggest opportunity is to implement strategies that households are able to use on a daily basis to, the re to reduce the amount of food that they're wasting. Uh, consumer behavior is, it's a personal thing. We can't really go into someone's house and say, no, don't buy that. Or, sorry, when they're going to the grocery store, we don't, we're not there to say, don't buy that or don't buy that. I think uh, I pr personally use all the food that's in my fridge before I buy more. So as long as you, your purchasing habits become more aligned with the, the how much food you're actually consuming and not so much as to the food that you want to consume, then I think that would really change a lot of behaviors when it comes to what people are doing in households. Um, on the other spectrum where we take in the retail, the restaurants, the manufacturing, the supplies and all of that, um, that's where my platform comes into play. We are a food redistribution app. We're Canada's first um, we're, the, we're the first to launch it in Canada, which is really great. Uh, we launched the platform in 2019, however, and we got a lot of you know great traction, but then COVID hit us and everybody got shut down. But it actually did me a favor because it allowed me to build the app out to fruition and come back with a tangible product that can actually make those steps happen. So although we were providing the service, we now have a product to provide to clients and they're able to simply call us through the app and let us know that they have surplus food and we're able to come and pick it up. So from that side, you know, that's always an opportunity um, for all of that, that, that entire, what, four or five other sectors that make up the entire uh, uh, food waste issue across the country. Awesome. And Angelina, would you like to let us know about your thoughts on opportunities in the local community to reduce food waste? Yeah, for sure. So I think to add on to what Tony said, for sure, developing that strategy at the household level so that we can align what households can do um, to reduce overall food waste, uh, specifically with uh, the Waste Watchers and Food Unity. Um, and speaking from experience with uh, just having weekly conversations with youth and otherwise known as like kitchen table talks with youth, um, although a small group of youth being 15 on a weekly basis, we've really realized that um, having conversations is so powerful, um, being able to relate with each other, being able able to share stories with each other and taking that um, to create content on social media and to uh, raise awareness and to raise education 
on food waste and food waste management, the tools, tips, and skills um, that can go along with reducing food waste uh, has those learnings have come from having conversations. And it's interesting because um, it's also given us that opportunity to dive deeper in understanding from a youth's perspective what's happening at the household level. So, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, maybe Lynn and Tony, do you guys want to go next? Okay, so I'll start. I find the topic of food waste, let me rephrase, I find the topic of anything involving food it's, it's difficult for me to take off like my doctor hat and my social justice hat when it comes to this topic. And so I often find myself reflecting on the fact that, you know, we have this very strange system where we have, you know, one in three children living in a food insecure house and also, you know, incredible amounts of food waste. I'm like, how do you then look at this whole food system that we've created and, and rationalize anything about it? And then also then like pick one thing and be like, and this is what we should work on. I think food waste is incredibly important, but I think for me, where I spend more of my time thinking about is like, how do we essentially ensure food justice for all, which means like, how do we make sure that people have access to food and healthy environments? Because it is just so much more than just a waste problem or a climate change problem or this, that, and the other problem. So I don't know, I find it difficult to wrap my head around. I think in terms of where I wish we could get to <laughs> would be like the recognition that our food system at this point is just, it's flawed almost from start to finish. And there are so many opportunities in that whole system to act. But I think if we take out the justice component of it, we really miss the opportunity to do so. So like in tackling food waste, like I love what B12Give does where it is like partnering with local communities to improve food security. Like that's so key. And all of these things like community fridges in Toronto, like wonderful, you know, what's that one, that flash food app, like all of these things that are designed to tackle food waste and give people access to food, I'm here for it. But at the end of the day, like we need to reduce food waste, but also we need to make sure people get fed. And the way we're going to make sure people get fed is to make sure that they have access to all of the resources they need so that they can buy healthy, good food or have access to, I don't even like the word buy because like, should we be buying things that are essential? I don't know. You know, like there's just a lot there. So <laughs> Yeah, that was that a really long-winded answer. answer, which I actually almost forget the question at this point. <laughs> the one thing that I want to contribute to the conversation that everyone has already answered so well um, is just that, like, I find a lot of uh, value in, like, the, the possibilities of individuals, um, you know, using their voices to advocate for things like food justice and to, like, advocate for things like having decent living wages and you know, pharmacare, all those like other related topics, like mm -hmm. sort of like there's many things that we can do. But one of the things that I love is like, just like using your voice and standing up for things. I think it's important. So that's my little piece. <laughs> Absolutely. I get that. And it's like, if you think of food insecurity, it's not a food supply issue. It's an economics issue, right? Like it's all intertwined. And that's, that really, um, I think your answers really exemplify that. Um, so Leslie, I want to get your take on this. What do you think? <laughs> How could I possibly add? Uh, yeah, I can. I completely agree with with the complexity of the problem and the dialogue between what are individuals responsible for as opposed to what are systems responsible. And it, it's a question with no good answer because, of course, individuals make up the system. So, sort of to pick up on the the most recent point, we as individuals, the question was, what do we do in our community? And I think one of the most important things we can do in our community is vote 
is speak up, is rise up to make sure that people have access to what they need. Um, you know, to, to as Tony was saying, should we should people be expected to pay for things that are essential? like a house, like food, like healthcare, when, when some people have more than they need and other people don't have enough to be healthy, that's deeply problematic. So what do we do within our communities? We encourage the people around us to shift the paradigm and to demand that our representatives pass policy that is egalitarian, that is, is making sure everybody has the basic necessities. What I will say as a naturopathic doctor um, and as a healthcare provider in general, and, and Tony spoke to this, the, the importance of the social, social and ecological and economic determinants of health. What's lovely about the topic of food is that there are many co-benefits between economics and the climate crisis and food access and health. <laughs> so a lot of the basic things that a healthcare provider can do in terms of educating individuals and, and groups and communities about good nutrition actually are beneficial for the whole, the whole, the whole puzzle. So if we're talking about eating a more plant-based diet, for example, that is more economically feasible in general, that is more sustainable in terms of regenerative agricultural practices. It does allow for possibly a shorter food supply chain um, it does mean less waste in terms of the, the production inputs, um, as well as the outputs and, and the externalities of, of that food supply chain. And in theory, requires less packaging because if we're eating closer to the earth, then, you know, that packaging side of things is addressed. So I guess on, a, on an individual and, and at a community level, by talking about eating a good whole foods, plant-based diet, I mean, at the very base of things, um, that's a really good start. And the more we as a, as a society demand that our food be locally produced, be organic, be regeneratively produced, um, minimize the packaging um, and speak up, that makes a big difference. And we have to do that collectively. And those of us who have power, whether that's social power or political power and economic power, we need to use it to make sure that the system is improved for those who are marginalized. Yeah, awesome. I appreciate all of your answers. I think that as we've clearly stated, this is very complicated um, and there are lots of things to be solved in, under this umbrella of food waste and, and um, sustainability and all of that. Um, but I want to know a little bit more about the next steps that your group, your organization or your brand is taking with regards to food or food waste. Um, so maybe Tony, you can start and we'll go in the same order. So what we're doing now is we just launched the app. The app launched uh, on February the 1st, which is really awesome. It's super exciting um, just to be able to bring this volunteer role to fruition to, fruition to the point where it's now an app. Uh, and it's a revenue generating app, which is really crazy. Um, it's exciting. So we're looking at one, getting the app out there, getting the food moving. Um, what we're trying to do is to evolve beyond the shelter systems as part of an output. Uh, we know that the shelter systems, of course, they need these resources, but eventually there is more food. There is not even more food. There's too much food to go around. There's $49 billion worth of, worth of it that's going in the garbage. So there's more than enough food to go around. As you mentioned earlier, income is that issue. Uh, food insecurity, being having been food insecure for three of the past four years, it's because I lost my job. It had nothing to do with accessing food. It was the fact that I didn't have the money to buy the food, period. 
end stop. So we want to set up systems where, yes, we're able to redistribute and yes, we're planning to redistribute to shelters, but we want to establish, uh, I don't want to give away too much, but we want to establish uh, something similar to community fridges. Um, where we can set up systems in communities that need resources so we can redistribute to that single spot and then have the community come to that area or uh, further redistribute from the community within their own intimate networks. Uh, so that's sort of a, a part two to what we're planning to do. Food insecurity, like for those of you who don't know, um, I was, as I shared, food insecure. Uh, I lost my job. I lost my livelihood, actually. Not, a, not my job, but I actually lost my livelihood. And that process of being food insecure, uh, having to wake up knowing that your first meal of the day was going to be at three o'clock in the afternoon was not, uh, let's say, the best feeling in the world, but it taught me what it was like to be food insecure. Uh, and the people around us, I know that shelter systems, and I know that they're always in need of additional resources, but food insecurity is a household issue. It's not a shelter issue. It's not um, you know, those who are on the street. I was food insecure, nobody knew, my mother knew, she was the only person I told, uh, but nobody knew what I was going through. My friends had no idea. I put on this facade that I had resources. I don't know how they uh, were able to get, I don't know how I was able to fool them for the entire time, but um, the process was that I, I didn't have the resources to, uh, to feed myself. And being able to pass that situation, uh, that knowledge of that situation onto what I've developed as an app, and then have that app service those communities who are not being serviced now is fantastic. All, all of those food rescue agencies that are out there that are doing awesome work are targeting the shelter systems and community kitchens. Those organizations don't service the community at large. They service their users. And food insecurity is not just in the shelter system, it's in the communities. So our next step beyond the redistribution part from the grocery store to the shelters is to establish that infrastructure in the community that we can redistribute to them and have them come to a centralized location to access food. That's incredible. That's amazing. I honestly, I didn't know that was in your plans and I was like, your app seems like a lot of work already. So kudos to you to doubling down on those solutions. I think that's really awesome. Um, and to find a, like a, a business case for it as well, to make it something that's revenue generating. I think that speaks to a lot of people's doubts that there is an actual business case that works in doing things that are right and serve communities effectively. Um, so good, good on you for that, Tony, that's great. Um, so maybe um, uh, Angelina, would you like to go next? Yeah, for sure. So Waste Watchers and the core team, um, so far we've built that foundation, that small community of youth who are interested and passionate in learning about the solutions and steps that they can take to reduce food waste at the household level. So um, some of the next steps for us is to continue building that community and that hub essentially um, is something that we're looking into to be a place where youth who are working on uh, food solutions and looking at solutions to reduce food waste, um, for them to be able to come to this hub and access skills, resources, and the network available to, to support them um, in their projects and in whatever they're doing. So that's definitely something that we want to scale up with. Um, another thing that uh, I, on a personal level, want to focus on, and I'm really excited for um, when things start to, I guess, slowly get back to normal, is to revisit the community that I grew up in, which is the uh, Keelan Finch area, considered in the uh, Black Creek 
neighborhood um, were considered low income communities in within that neighborhood. And I think that for a really long time, just growing up, I've kind of moved uh, into different, I guess, cities and towns for school and haven't really thought much about the systems in place within my own community and really thought deeper about what was happening in school, like growing up having snack programs. Why did we have these snack programs in the morning, right? And now thinking again with all the news resurfacing about what's happening within the community that I grew up in, um, I want to be able to go back and um, be of service and be able to go back there with uh, that learning. Um, or, yeah, the learning that I've, um, I guess, recognized, which is the power of listening to communities and the power of listening to individuals and being able to service my community in that way. So that will be, um, I guess, the an upcoming thing for Food Unity and for Waste Watchers to explore. Um, I'm really excited that for the next six months, I'll be a part of the uh, Climate Leadership Program, which is organized by YCI. So I'm really grateful to be able to have the mentorship available um, to support us in the continuation of Food Unity. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, that's a lot as well. And the emphasis on community and listening to people, understanding what they really need. I think that's something that you and Tony both have kind of touched on is like knowing what the community actually needs instead of just forcing solutions on people. Um, I think that's a really great, um, a, a good approach. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, awesome, okay, Lynn and Tony. Um, so the work that we focus on always is education and empowerment, but I think this year what we wanna do is take it a step further and sort of work on like reimagining and really like the power of being able to imagine a different world in order to facilitate change. So that goes like within our own lives in terms of like the things that we, we want to start doing to tackle food waste and already have been doing like growing a garden and like putting a little food box outside, things like that. But also just like on a bigger scale, like reimagining how we interact with our communities and how we interact with like the natural world like even like Tony said like should we have to pay for food like that's a question that like needs to be talked about it needs to be addressed and like how do we you know move that idea forward in a way that could create positive change um like another thing that when Tony was talking about you know his next steps in like hitting the actual community that needs these things is like what if it wasn't like like I think right now there's a certain amount of I don't know if it's shame or like othering of people who might not be able to, you know, like afford certain things or live a certain lifestyle. And like, what if that weren't the case? Like, what if we just had like giant community parties where we came together and shared our food, um, like as a way of A, celebrating each other and like also B, redistributing the wealth in our communities. So it's just, there's a lot of, I think where our work wants to, where we want to focus our work on for the next year or so is just really that like reimagining portion and like having these discussions. I was going to say something, but I, I don't know that I need to actually. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think to her point, I think we both got to the realization that like our politicians are not coming to save us. We used to spend, not that we don't spend time reaching out to our politicians anymore. Still we still obviously do. And I think that's <laughs> obviously important, but also they're not coming to save us, right? Like we just recently voted down pharmacare. They voted down, you know, paid sick leave. They've, you know, just like every useful thing that could have happened, you know, our minimum wage is frozen, like anything that would have 
to Tony's point, you know, given people the money they need to buy the food they need, we, we didn't do that. So fine, which really like, I think the next question then becomes like, okay, so how do we make our communities less reliant on someone who needs to come save them? And that's an important question. And I think that is where we need to all focus our energies and efforts because that's where the power is and we are the community. So that's all I have to add. Yeah, I, that's a big point. That's, that's a little, a big little thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, the, the pharma care was disappointing, especially considering they ran on that, but that's another conversation. Um, but <laughs> um, I think, yeah, being like mobilizing everybody, educating everybody to, to know the systems that are in place is so key and to know how to fight it and empowering them to do something about it. Um, that's awesome. Um, alrighty, so Leslie, what do you think about this? What are you guys working on? <laughs> So NEST is by definition an organization for naturopathic doctors. So, you know, healthcare providers, our primary goal is to build the capacity of naturopathic doctors to address the social and ecological determinants of health. So that can look like a lot of things. And, and so it's kind of tricky to answer that question. So one of our priorities is education and, and predominantly that is within the profession and, and from within the profession. So you know, we have some continuing edu education courses that we're developing for, um, for naturopathic doctors on, on some of these topics. I'll be attending um, an international meeting on planetary health in the spring in Sao Paulo virtually <laughs> to talk about some projects that can help to uh, find out what healthcare providers do and don't know skills they do and don't have, attitudes they do and don't have around issues of, of planetary health, which isn't just about uh, sustainability from an environmental perspective, but it is about justice. It is about all the things that we're talking about in terms of people having access to, to at least the basic necessities of life. So a lot of kind of academic, educational kind of stuff that, that we're, we're definitely prioritizing. But I would say that in the naturopathic world, um, and Tony and I have talked about this in, in another venue, um, so I don't think it's unique to naturopathic medicine and educational training, but there's not a lot of, of education around advocacy skills. And so part of NEST's mandate is to build the profession's capacity around doing that. So all the different strategies we've just been talking about, whether it's political action, whether it's community organizing. Um, it's just not something that it tends to be talked about much in, in naturopathic education. So um, that's one of the things we're trying to do is, is both through the, the accredited naturopathic medical institutions, as well as through continuing education, as well as through informal um, partnerships and collaborations, just to build the confidence of, of naturopathic doctors to do a lot of this kind of work. So a lot of folks are interested in food in particular. So, you know, interested in community gardens and helping with, with doing that kind of work. We know there's a lot of health benefits to getting our hands in the soil and, and to communing with plants and forest bathing, all that good stuff. And all of that ties in intimately, of course, with, with food production and, and really food access too. you know, if, if we can, help people connect to community gardens and, and uh, reclaim public lands to, to plant food and grow food and, and to learn how to grow food on balconies and, and indoors and so on. Um, that, that's a really tremendous opportunity. So I would say that education and building skills of, skills of advocacy are, are definitely the, the primary foci for, uh, for our organization right now. Awesome. 
Thank you so much. So I, I love to see all the different, like the diversity of things going on, because that's exactly what we need, right? It's like, you need some people empowering people to get started. You need some people to be working on some of the systems, other people to be, you know, doing education. It's kind of like all hands on deck. <laughs> um, and that's what I love about, like, not just the sustainability community, but anyone who's doing like purpose driven work. Um, it's so inspiring to, to hear from everybody. So knowing that like this is such a huge problem and knowing that there are so many ways to solve this kind of stuff and there are so many people working on it. Um, in one or a couple words, I just wanna know how you're feeling at this moment. Tony, do you wanna go first? Um, how I'm feeling, um, I'm probably more of a couple words. Uh, I would say right now, one, I'm grateful for the fact that I, that this has come to this point, like everything sort of has built up to this point. Um, I launched this business being food insecure and on social assistance and <laughs> a hope and a dream pretty much, um, that other people would, uh, be into what I was trying to do. Um, so I'm really grateful for all of the support that everyone has put forth, shown me like yourself, Aaron. Um, but there are like, there are agencies, um, just to give a bit, I don't want to call it background, but just to give so context to this, I have been approached by different national and, and provincial agencies looking to support what I'm doing. Um, these people don't know me. They have no idea who I am. Uh, I, when they reached out to me at the point, yes, I had made, I had, been further on in the process where I may not have been food insecure anymore and I may have not have been on social assistance but I tasted that literally last year or the year before because 2020 kind of wipes away right now but um, I was until from literally 2016 to the end of 2019 I didn't have enough food in my fridge and I didn't have money to buy food to put into my fridge I had a job but I was living I you know I was the working poor um, it, it was, it was a really bad situation, but I somehow persevered and got through it. So as I said, I'm grateful, but I'm also now driven and inspired by that support. Um, the way the, the way people in general have reached out and just said, Hey, how can we help you amplify what you're doing? Uh, you know, it was all surprise. It was organic. It wasn't something I sought after the appreciation is yes, of course. I love it. Um, but when I started this, I wasn't looking for appreciation. I was looking to pass food that was in access um, to people who didn't have the food like I didn't. Yes, I took some home for myself, but I definitely wanted to make sure that other people had some food to eat on a nightly basis. That was strictly through volunteerism. And that was it. That's where this process started. And I was, as I said, I was doing this on my bike. I was food insecure and I was on social assistance. So to be in a position now in 2021 with a product that's been developed, you know, U of T took us on as a, one of their partner programs for the software engineering um, program that they offer and they built their infrastructure of my app for free. So I didn't have to worry about that cost. The, the uh, media press that we received last year, that came at no cost. People reached out to me because I was tagging them on posts that I was making sorry, when I was doing my, my, my redistribution to the shelters, I was tagging news outlets. That was it. Um, and then from that, it like the support just kept coming and coming and coming. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. You know, is this really, 
a thing. Um, I should share that I almost gave up on this idea. I was sort of, I remember the, I remember the night. <laughs> I was sitting at home and I was looking at like, okay, you're at that pivotal moment. This is sort of your, uh, you know, this is your, your, your V. Which way are you gonna go? Like, are you gonna go this way or are you gonna go that way? And I was leaning to go this way because I'm thinking this is just the more safest route. I don't wanna have to put myself out there. I don't want to do something and fail again at, you know, at a social business. Uh, so, uh, sorry, a, a, a social innovative business idea. And I said, no, like you, you've come this far, you have support like of your friends and so forth. But at least if you go this way, you can say that you tried it out. And if you fail, you know what failure feels like because you just failed a couple of years earlier. Um, so you know how to recover from a situation like that. And almost instantly, the you know the attention just started strictly through an Instagram page. People just started buying into it, and then City News and then CBC did this massive story on us and put it on on, on their national platforms. And the organizations that were reaching out to me, I was getting phone calls from like University of Toronto and Cadillac Fairview, um, McGill, McMaster, these types of institutions reaching out to me to say, hey, listen, how can we integrate your platform into our daily operations? And then COVID said, no, we're going to put a stop to that right away. So going through that process, um, it, it, you know, as I said, I'm grateful that people still found the, you know, the platform intriguing. Um, the fact that the federal government reached out to me and said, hey, can we help amplify what you're doing by, you know, giving you an opportunity to participate in, in a food waste reduction challenge that has the capacity to take your platform national. And I'm like, sure, like, why not? And then the province is offering to promote the platform when they reissue their food, organic, food and organic waste policy statement to all of their uh, retailers on a provincial scale. Sure, like, I'm not going to say no to that support, um, but it's coming to me organically. So I am so grateful um, for everything that's happened over the past four years. Had I not gone through... Um, the situation that put me on this path in the first place, I wouldn't be here. So for, to have gone through it, yeah, it was pretty rough for lack of a better term, but to, for the outcome of it all, to see the result of what I went through for the past four years, grateful is the one word I think I could use for it all. Amazing, I love it. Angelina, how are you feeling? Ooh, well, after Tony's story, um, I'm definitely going to say that I guess the word to sum up how I'm feeling is well, two words, invigorated and excited, um, both because with the youth movements that have been happening and seeing just the pressure, right, that youth are putting forward to institutions, businesses, the government amazing. We just have to keep that momentum going and we have to be able to keep supporting youth in that way by giving them the support that they need and to listen to them and to put forth um, solutions so that we can have sustain a sustainable future. And um, I'm also really excited because I'm considered Gen Y or a millennial, right? And it's really exciting and interesting to see how now with Gen Z's, 
um, my cousins who are a little bit younger than me, climate literacy is a thing now. Um, growing up, they know about the intersectionality of social and environmental issues. These are conversations that they're having. They know what solutions need to be put forth, right? Um, so it's exciting seeing our future generation um, having those discussions and having those talks and being able to pressure the businesses and governments to make change and being able to force individuals to make change. So um, definitely feeling really excited and really invigorated. Um, I, I know that my passion lies within youth education, youth empowerment, and looking at circularity um, and looking at food systems. So being able to pair the two together or those things together and um, just makes me really excited looking forwards to the future of food unity. Awesome, thank you. Okay, Lynn and Tony, how are you feeling? <laughs> I told her she has to go first. I'm feeling super happy. <laughs> like, I feel very hopeful. Um, I feel like, I don't know if I'm just biased and I've just been focusing my attention on places and people that are doing that cool things which makes me feel hopeful and just she she reads the news she listens to all of that and I'm just here like I just heard the good stuff <laughs> so I'm feeling great <laughs> we're a good we're a good partnership it's balance <laughs> balance is key um but yeah I don't know I think just hopeful is the word that I have like the amount of change that I've seen in the last year alone just in the way people are talking about things, the words they use, like the attempts to be more inclusive, the attempts to be more accessible, the realization that certain things are important, the realization that all of these issues intersect. Um, I guess to what Angelina was saying, like I see it in youth, I see it in my own social peers, and I see it in people older than me. I just feel like all of us are slowly, no one, I don't like to use the word waking up, it seems very cliche. <laughs> but just becoming more aware of each other and becoming more empowered in our own way um that makes me feel very helpful so you know yeah the government's not doing anything except for the opposite of what we need but we're all doing the work so i feel great <laughs> we make up for it <laughs> i still don't have a good word I am feeling many ways. I think frustrated. I feel uh, like I, I read frustration from you. I mean, often, yes. Yes, that would be a, an, apt, an apt term. Um, no, I think that's not my main state of being. I think my main state of being actually these days is just, and this is going to sound super hippie, but like just it's radical, but like in the real word, like meaning, where it's like to do with altering the fundamental nature of something, mm. not like a, you know, someone yelling in the streets. Um, which, I mean, I love yelling in the streets. We should do more of that too. But um, I just think we are at a time and a place where, to Lynn's point, like there's so much happening. We just all need to go do the things and, you know, and it'll be great. That's, that's where I'm at. And change the fundamental nature of all this nonsense. Yes. Mm -hmm. I feel both of those things, the positive and the negative. <laughs> the balance. Um, awesome. Okay, Leslie, how are you feeling? Yeah, yeah, I was feeling a little uh, worried about being honest. And, and so, Tony, thank you for your honesty. Um, I often feel angry <laughs> and cynical for all the reasons that have been mentioned. Um, 
And a number of years ago, I found that the antidote to those very unhelpful feelings uh, was taking action. And Joanna Macy wrote a book called Act of Hope. And to me, there is a lot of wisdom in, in even just the title. And I mean, there's a lot of research and literature out there that says that when we take action, we feel better. And so I definitely have found that to be true in my life. Um, and so I often do feel angry for all the reasons that have been discussed. And the only way that I can avoid wallowing in that <laughs> is to keep on keeping on. And uh, to, to the point of youth, uh, you know, it's funny when you introduced me, Erin, um, I mean, I obviously provided the bio, <laughs> mother was the first thing. And I, I am a mom who always tell me about the generation names and it means absolutely nothing to me, but I guess they're Gen Z. I don't know. They were born in the early aughts and, and I feel hopeful because of them. And, and, and in our house, we are constantly having, these conversations they're schooling me all the time and I'm schooling them and we're calling each other in and and uh you know pointing things out and and that that also brings me hope I feel like any effort I make in my profession or in my my community um the biggest impact I hope I will have on this planet is through my remarkable children and um hope that that they have a better future than sometimes it seems they will right now. So all I can feel is hopeful. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, cynical, angry, and hopeful, which drives my action. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And I think everyone here, I mean, all of us are doing amazing things. So um, it, it helps to have the realist side come through sometimes and like we recognize that there are still huge issues to be solved but yeah maintaining that hope somewhere otherwise none of us would be doing the stuff that we do if we didn't have a little bit of hope at least <laughs> um awesome so thank you so much we'll leave it at that then um i wanted to thank all of our guests that are here with us today um and the viewers for taking part in this challenge uh, I think that we'll all probably take away something different from the challenge, the conversations that we've had, all of the different pieces that have come together. But for me, what is so uplifting, and I've alluded to this already, is just seeing the community work together to support each other and work on initiatives across the city. They, they all seem different, but they're all connected in this underlying like fundamental need or desire or whatever necessity to change how things are. So. Um, I thank all of you for joining us. And for the viewers, I just want to mention to please take a look at the link below. Um, there'll be more information about ways that you can get involved with Drawdown Initiatives and they'll, they'll be posting also some uh, resources that will be living resource documents that will be always changing as things come up. Um, but there were so many partners working on this challenge together, both on screen and behind the scenes. And so imagine if we all partner together in this way going forward to make some big things happen as a community, right? I invite everybody, guests, the viewers, everybody to continue the conversation, to partner together and to build solutions locally to make a better future for everybody. So thank you so much, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Inner Circle. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts to help others find us and learn more about the circular economy. 
If you'd like to join the business network or donate to our nonprofit, you can learn more at impactzero.ca. And if you'd like to stay connected, you can follow us on Instagram at impactzero.ca, on Twitter at impactzero underscore CA, or on LinkedIn by searching impactzero. Thanks so much for joining me this week, and we'll see you soon.